We're going to be in Acts chapter 13 today. We're starting a new series called Well Built, thinking about the foundational truths that you and I build our lives on and that as the body of Christ that we're built on this morning. We're going to be in Acts chapter 13. I'm actually going to grab the last verse from chapter 12. So if you're turning your Bible, just look up one verse and then we'll roll straight into Acts chapter 13. Before we go there, how, <clears throat> how many of you have heard this phrase before? Ne'er the twain shall meet. Have you ever heard that before? Okay, my mom used to talk about this. It actually comes from Kipling, as the author wrote in the 19th century, talking about the East is so far from the West and ne'er the twain shall meet. And my mom used to say that about me and my sister, ne'er the twain shall meet. It, what it means is two things are so different that never the two, that's what twain means, never the two should come together. They should stay apart. Ne'er the twain, never the two should meet. They should stay apart. Okay. I was thinking about that last week. I was listening to Carter, our preacher and apprentice, who, who led us in the Lord's table this morning, and he preached to us last week. If you were gone, maybe out of town Memorial Day weekend and missed that, you have got to go back and listen to his word. It was a powerful, powerful word. And he came to us from Philippians 2. And in Philippians 2, Paul calls the church to be united to each other. And then he gives this really simple principle. You will be united if together you just look at Christ, you'll see the humility of Christ. That humility will become yours. It will wash over you, and you'll be able to stick together. So a church is united if they're just together. And I look out at this, like Carter talked about last week, this precious community, and just savor the unity that we have through Christ and through our shared focus on Christ. The reason I was thinking about that is I was also thinking about the world beyond this one. So if this church right here is its own world, well, we know there is another world out there beyond these walls, and that world is anything but united. Am I right? And that world is fractured and torn apart constantly. It's a world of division. As soon as you leave this place, you are just awash in that. I mean, as an example, consider this. Maybe, maybe you don't know this. Every four years, this country elects a new president. Did you know that? And um, I'll tell you, as I think about 2024, and I think about the news cycle that's going to be associated with that presidential election, as I think about the vitriol that's going to be on social media, as I think about the conversations you and I are going to have with people we love, I just want to cringe, sink up into a hole, and disappear. Does anybody else feel the same way? Like, how many of you are excited about 2024 in the election year? Probably not many of us, just because of how fracturing an election is. And praise God, we live in a country where we get to choose our president, and none of us is looking forward to it, right? Okay. Did you know that in American history, only one president has won 100% of the popular vote? Only one. George Washington, because he ran unopposed. That, that's it. The first and the last time that we had an election that didn't just by nature divide us. Okay. And so I think about that, that world out there, fractured and divided in this world here, and that phrase, never the two shall meet, sounds pretty good, right? Like, keep that away from us. I was at a preacher camp not long ago, the best kind of camp. You should all be there, preacher camp, really fun. There was like 10 or, 10 or 15 of us gathered in this room with one of our mentors, and he was like, you know, 
2024 election year. What are you, what are you guys going to preach in election year? And there was just collective groans in the room. Ugh. Because what those guys are anxious about is that division out there bleeding in here. And man, talking into that is tough. In 2020, the last election cycle, Barna Group did a, a study and found that in 2020, 30%, 30% of ministers left ministry or considered leaving in 2020. There are really two factors, both pointing to a single reason. One, the political election. And two, do you remember what else happened in 2020? A pandemic. It turns out the only other thing as divisive as politics are pandemics. Okay. And so, man, that division out there seeping in here can be hard, can be hard on the church. And so, again, we think about that idea of like, never the two shall meet doesn't sound too bad. Like, keep that away from us. But interestingly, I mean, if you think about it, is that right? That these two worlds would be separate and apart? Maybe in some sense, but in every, in every sense. And the reason, okay, the re, let me just come with me, come with me to this text here, Acts chapter 12, because what, what we see in what's called the Antioch church, the church in Antioch, man, is just a really powerful example to us in a fractured world with the united church and what our job is in relation to that fractured world. And so how we're united together and how we, how we connect or touch that world. And so let's look at this together. This is Acts chapter 12, starting verse 25, and then we'll immediately roll into Acts chapter 13. So when Barnabas and Saul, now Saul we know is the apostle Paul, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Now, the mission was they took a, a love offering, a gift, to help some people who were in need. They took it to Jerusalem. Now they're on their way back. <clears throat> now, in the church at Antioch, we're really going to get to know these folks here. There were prophets, and there were teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, <clears throat> Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, <clears throat> look at this, set apart for me, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. The Holy Spirit said that, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. So after they, the church, fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them, and they sent them, sent them off. Okay. If it's true, if it's true that our differences divide us, you look out there, and you see that's very true. If it's true that our differences should divide us, then the Antioch church should have divided. Because it is a church made up of all kinds of different people. It's one of the really remarkable things about the Antioch church is how diverse this group is in Antioch. Let me give you a little background. I shared this a couple weeks ago because the first time we meet this church is in Acts chapter 11. Well, the Antioch church is planted in a city in Antioch that is one of the most diverse cities in the ancient world. We know from archaeology, from ancient historians, that there were at least 18 different people groups in Antioch 
and that all of those groups stayed separate and apart from one another. So in Acts chapter 11, the church in Antioch is formed and the people in Antioch are looking at them and they're causing this big stir precisely because the makeup of the church does not match the strict boundaries in the rest of Antioch. It's a diverse blended group. And so they look at them and they say, well, we gotta call them something else because what we call everybody else by their categories, races, ethnicities, it doesn't apply to them because they're too blended. So they call them a new name. You remember what they call them? Christians, Christians, okay. And one of the ways that we know the Antioch church was blended in addition to history is look back at this passage here in Acts chapter 13. We see the list of the five leaders in the church, and it's one of the most diverse groups you can imagine. You got Barnabas and Saul. Those are both Jews, although they come from very, very different backgrounds, Barnabas and Saul. Then you have Simon. Simon was most likely a black man from sub-Saharan Africa. And then you have Lucius, who is a Roman Gentile from North Africa. And then you have Menean, who grew up in a political family. Okay, so this is about as different of a leadership group as you can possibly think of. And yet they are bound together. I was listening to a preacher in Washington, D.C. area, and somebody was asking him about, about preaching in an election cycle and what that's like in D.C. and how this church stays together. And he said something I'll never forget. He said, he said that stuff, well, that can't divide us because it's not what unites us. That cannot divide us because it's not what unites us. What's happening in Antioch is you got a group of people who are very different and the world says they cannot stick together. But they do because collectively they're focused on a single thing. And we know that because everybody else in Antioch can see how singular their focus is. What's their focus on? Christ. That's why they call them Christ. Ian's, little Christians. It's so clear to everybody else that these people who have nothing else in common, have this single thing in common, and that thing is Christ, and that is keeping them together. Okay, so you might be thinking to yourself, Eric, man, that is such a preacher thing to say. If we just look at Christ, we're going to be good. <laughs> Everything else will work itself out, and perhaps that is a little simplistic. Here's what I'd say. It's not, it's not simply that they're focused on Christ, but from that focus, they have a shared purpose. So we just finished this series, What's It All Mean? And in that series, we were thinking about meaning and purpose in our lives. And remember the person pyramid? You saw it a couple times. The staff has been wearing me out for using this so much. And so I wasn't gonna use it again, but I changed my mind and we're gonna use it one more time as we start this new series, The Person Pyramid. You may never see it again. That's probably a lie. I'll probably use it a lot more, okay. What's happening in the Antioch church is that they are so clearly bound together on the level of meaning, the foundational level, what's most true, Christ Jesus. They're so grounded and bound together at that level that one level up from that purpose, they are also bound together and share a singular focus at that level as well. And for them, for the Antioch church, that focus is, did you catch what it is? It's sending, sending their own out 
into that world. Ne'er the two shall meet? No. Sending them out into that world. Now, let's talk about this for a second. Sending here. If you're, if you're looking back at that passage, you can take down the person pyramid. They've had enough of the person pyramid. If you, if you look back at the passage, what you see is that the Holy Spirit tells them to set apart Saul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, and they do set them apart. And then they send Saul and Barnabas, but you also have this language of the Holy Spirit sending Saul and Barnabas, which is this really fascinating thing. So think about it like this. You have the church doing one thing and the Holy Spirit doing one thing. And it just so happens those two things are the same thing. Are you with me? Okay, when the Holy Spirit is doing something and the church is doing the same thing and those two things go together, you know what we call that? We call that alignment, alignment, which is a term maybe you've heard in the business world, but we've experienced it here. We experience it pretty regularly. So let me give you an example. Uh, last week, Carter, who I talked about earlier, our preaching apprentice, preached up here first sermon. He's preached at Highlands, preached a couple others elsewhere, but first time to preach here at his home church. And that was an awesome thing to see. One of our young people grew up here declaring the good news of the Lord and being prepared to go out and, and do that with his life. And so in the weeks leading up to that, what you don't know is in the weeks leading up to that, how much work that he put into that sermon and how our team rallied around him to help him think through that sermon. In fact, the Monday of the week he preached, I made him first preach the sermon to our staff. So if you think it's nerve wracking to preach to a couple hundred, it's much more nerve wracking to preach to like 10 or 12, okay? People who know what they're doing and know what they're talking about and have their heads down writing notes the whole time. Like that's much scarier, okay? But in the moment when Carter got up here to preach, he talked about he was nervous beforehand. In the moment he got up here to preach, he told me afterwards, I felt strangely at peace. I didn't struggle to find a single word. It was like everyone was given to me. And he said afterwards, Eric, I did not want it to end. Okay, what is that? That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. So what you have here is you have a church working to equip someone to send them out, and you have the Holy Spirit confirming that you have alignment. Okay. Or maybe you had an experience of this just a second ago in that last song when Kara started All the Poor and Powerless. Lindsay leaned over to my ear, and she goes, mm. Okay, she's being equipped to use those gifts, and you have that feeling as soon as she starts singing, this is right. Okay. It's the Holy Spirit aligning what we're doing and what the Spirit is doing, what God wants. Okay, what does God want apparently for the church? He wants us to send, to send. And we will experience that alignment with the Holy Spirit, not when we stay separate and apart, but when we send. Okay, let's talk about sending for a second. It is not natural to send. How, let me give you an example. How many of you have a pile of clothes in the corner of your closet that you have set apart to take to goodwill and those clothes have been there for months? How many of you have that pile in your closet? You know what I'm talking about? Like you, the idea of sending sounds good, sending itself, nobody wants to do that. I mean, Lindsay and I, we've got three boys. Our oldest two are in school now. I'll tell you, both times we dropped off that child at kindergarten, even though we were as happy as we could be with the place they were, the whole drive home, what did we do? We cried the whole way home. 
And I'm a crier. That's not a surprise to you. You're like, Eric cries at everything. Or how many of you who are older, you've taken your kids to college or you sent them off to the military or something like that. And sending them off is hard for us. I shared this a few weeks ago, but a preacher that I follow has been influential to me, trains young missionaries to go out and to all the world sharing the good news of the Lord. And he says the biggest barrier to young missionaries going into all the world is their American parents who don't want them to go. Sending is hard. About a year and a half ago, we planted a church, the Oikos Church in East Memphis. It is doing incredible kingdom work over there in East Memphis. I'm so proud of them. But I'll tell you, we sent about 70 Highlanders. We set them apart and sent them to go with the Oikos Church. And I'll tell you, I stood up here and I preached about how that's the greatest thing in the world and that we should all do that. And you know what the hardest Sunday in my ministry has been was the Sunday that 70 was not here. Felt like I'll... You know, somebody had ripped a Band-Aid off. It hurt. Sending is hard to do, which may explain. It may explain why the Antioch church is the first sending church. Did you know that? Uh, You got the Jerusalem church where this whole thing kind of starts. And the Jerusalem church has apostles and they have prophets and they have all these miracles. They have all this incredible stuff going on. They got the Holy Spirit coming on people like fire. This is the place to be. But for all of that goodness, they did not send anybody. They got persecuted. And out of that persecution, the church scattered, went all over the ancient world and God leveraged that persecution and scattering to spread his good news. But the Antioch church is the first church when things are going well to just sit down and be like, what do you think the Holy Spirit's telling us? I think the Holy Spirit's saying that we need to get some of us and just send them out. It's like, well, who should we send? Let's not send our best people. No, they send Paul and Barnabas. Like, you know, they wanted Paul and Barnabas to stay there. They wanted them forever. And instead they're like, no, it's clear. What we're supposed to do is not to hold on, it's to send. Hmm. <clears throat> I get a call from Michelle Betts, our children's minister, the other day. It was a Sunday afternoon. So I'm, you know, I'm kind of decompressing, uh, you know, just hanging out with the family, and she's calling, and I, I think something's probably wrong. She's decompressing on Sunday afternoons too. And I answer the phone, I'm like, what's up, Michelle? She's like, Eric, Eric, I have got to tell you something. I'm like, okay, tell me. She says, did you know that the last thing, the very last thing that Jesus tells his disciples before he leaves is to go, to go, and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Did you know that is the last thing Jesus said before he left? It must be the most important thing. It was the last thing he said. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, I know. And she goes, Eric, I'm just overwhelmed by this. I was teaching our first graders this morning. Foster was looking at me, nodding his head. And I just told them, guys, the last thing Jesus said to us is that we're going to have to go. You have to go into the world, go to all nations, making disciples. Don't you think that's important to Jesus if it's the last thing? And that's what I told him. And I'm just kind of carried away with it. I had to tell somebody else. I said, thanks. Can we talk about it tomorrow? Yeah. Think a little bit more broadly. Okay, the Antioch church, they're bound together at the level of truth, what's most true. And because of that, they're clear about their purpose. But if you go back down there to that level of truth, what is kind of the 
What's the big story that our lives are based on? We'll think about it like this. Let's throw this up on the screen. This is how the story unfolds. The father, the father sends the son to us. The father and the son send the spirit to dwell in each and every one of us. And the Son and the Spirit together send and empower the church to go and be my witnesses in Judea and Jerusalem and to the ends of the earth. And so we finish that last sentence. If sending is the name of the game, who is the church sending? And the answer is us. It's us. One of my buddies in high school was a Mormon and you know, just time out in advance, I have serious, serious disagreement with Mormon convictions and beliefs. Um, okay, on timeout. And uh, he was um, getting ready to graduate, and we were all getting ready to graduate, and so we're talking about, you know, where are you going to go to school after this, or what are you going to do, where are you going to work after this? And I remember asking him, I was like, well, what are you going to do after this? And he's like, well, I'm actually being sent to South America for two years. Uh, to do a mission in South America. And I had no idea that was a thing that every Mormon does. I mean, I'd had those experiences like you've probably have of those guys in the white button up, short sleeve with a tie coming to my door and knocking on the door. Do you know, you remember those? My dad, who was a minister, used to love it when those boys would knock on our door. He'd be like, come on in here, boys, let's talk. Okay. Um, so I'd had that experience. I just, I didn't realize it was a part of this Bigger framework where every single young person is sent out and has that experience. And then their whole lives are shaped by having been sent out. Now, again, I, I deeply disagree with what they believe, but I admire that. I admire that. A friend of mine was telling me about a church next door to his. And uh, he looks out the window of his church and he sees this sign in their yard but the sign's not facing the street, it's, it's facing inward. So as you're driving out of the parking lot, you see what's on the sign. So the sign out on the street says something like, you know, welcome to such and such Methodist church. But for all the members, when they drive out on Sunday, the sign that they see going on their way out the parking lot says, you are now entering the mission field. You're now entering the mission field. There's a part of us that thinks, man, that's kind of cheesy. That's kind of cheesy. And listen, I, I get it. But I think it's that same part of us that would look at that sign and say, that's kind of cheesy. It's that same part of us that keeps us from ever saying a single thing in the world out there about the good news of Christ Jesus. Right? It's like the same oh, kind of awkwardness, cheesiness is the very thing that prevents us from seeing our, our own purpose as those who are sent into this world. So why, why, I wonder, why did the Antioch church get this right? And it's clear they got it right because the Holy Spirit confirms it. They're living into what Jesus calls us to his last words on earth, like Miss Michelle <laughs> reminded me. It's so clear that as they send their own out into the world, it's so clear they're getting it right. And we got to ask, well, how did they get it right? Because I want to get it right. Did you notice a couple times in this passage, it says they were fasting. Did you see that? It says they were fasting. 
probably, if you're like me, you skip past that. Because nobody likes fasting. If you don't know what fasting is, fasting is when you give up a meal or multiple meals. You give up what you desire or what you will because you believe it is better for you that the Lord's will would be done and that you can't be satisfied by what you desire, only what he desires. That's what fasting is. And so fasting is always giving up food. Now, sometimes people might fast from something else, but it was normal. Think about this. I mean, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. How many of you is it normal? I believe each and every one of you are praying, and I hope you are. For how many of you is it normal that you fast? And you tell God, what I want is less important than what you want in me. So do that instead. But it was normal for them. They were fasting because they so desired that the Lord's will would be done in their life. That was the only thing that would satisfy them. That's how they got it right. That's it. So uh, why am I talking about that this week? Well, here, this is a week, if you think about the person pyramid one last time, this is a week of meaning and purpose at Highland. Meaning and purpose in two ways. The first is that this week is VBS. You heard Miss Michelle talk about that earlier on in our service during announcements. This week is VBS, runs Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night. We're starting to set up this afternoon here. If you think about what VBS is, Vacation Bible School, this is a week in which we are pouring into our young people what we believe to be most true, most true. It's a week of meaning, and it's a week in which our whole church will rally around. Everyone will volunteer and uh, work, you know, be in the plays or help run these kids around and manage them. It's a week when we're all going to rally around these kids to help them to understand and believe it's worth building my life on this. So three takeaways this morning. The first is, would you consider volunteering for VBS this week? You can come up this afternoon. You can help us, help us set up this afternoon. You can come. Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. You can be in a play, you can be in a skit, you can be in a puppet show, you just come and help, okay? All right, I'd love, love if you would volunteer and help. If you want to volunteer, you can let me know, let Miss Michelle know. Would you consider doing that? But I also said it's a week of purpose, and that brings me to the second thing that's happening that, this week, and that's Do Good Week. So Do Good Week is this brand new things for our teenagers. You can throw number two up there. I'm gonna ask that you would pray for Do Good Week. Do Good Week. It's brand new for our teenagers, but it's based on their long history within our youth group of going and serving and sharing the good news of Jesus in the world outside of this world. And so this week, all of our young people are going to be leaving here every single day and going and serving with nonprofits and serving those in need and sharing the good news of Jesus with them all week. Okay, So not only is it a week of meaning and deep truth, it's also a week of sending or purpose. We're living into both of those this week. And I want to ask you to pray for our young people. In fact, let me stop here. If you're a young person who's going to do, do, do good this week, <laughs> if you're a young person who's going to participate in Do Good Week this week, <laughs> uh, that's funny, would you stand up if you're one of those young people, if you're going to participate in Do Good Week, or if you're a young person who's going to be a part of VBS this week, or if you're a volunteer who's already volunteered for VBS, would you stand? So if you're going to be a part of Do Good Week, 
or VBS this week, would you stand up? You three boys right here, y'all are going to do VBS. Y'all need to stand up right there. All right. We're like, we don't know. We just go where dad takes us. Yeah. All right. This is awesome to see. Let me pray over y'all right, right now. You'll remember in this passage, they prayed over those who were being sent. I want to pray over y'all right now. So if you're helping with VBS or participating or helping with Do Good Week or participating, stand up and we should pray over you. God, we believe in what these people are doing. Young people and those who are pouring into them, building them up for your sake. We believe, God, also that our world is fractured and broken and that you are calling us into that world. And so as these young people not only build their lives on your truth, but take that truth into the world as we set them apart and send them where they go in your power and might and glory. Would you sustain them, Lord, by your spirit? Would you give them courage and boldness and enable them to go knowing that you go before them? And I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You can sit down. I'll, I'll wrap up here. Last thing, third thing I'm going to ask of you is that you would, let's throw that up on the screen. Would you fast for one meal this week? Let me ask you that. Would you consider fasting for one meal this week. Uh, one of our friends who's, who's out of town this weekend, she was uh, dropping her kid off at, at summer camp, and she, she texted Lindsay just now. She said, so I'm supposed to fast this week? Well, I'm about to dominate this catfish buffet. She said, okay. <laughs> so she's going to fast later this week, all right? Um, we believe, as the people of God, that His will and only His will can satisfy us. And that we will be most satisfied when we, as the body of Christ, do his will. Would you fast for one meal this week to set aside your own desires, communicate to the Father that you desire his will would be done, and that we would be people who would be sent for his purposes? Would you do that this week? Those are my three requests. Would you consider volunteering in the meaning-making work of VBS? Would you consider praying for those doing Do Good Week, would you pray for them every single day? And, and would you fast for at least one meal this week? Can I ask that of you? Let me say a prayer over us as we're dismissed and as we go from here and enter the mission field to which we have been sent. Lord, would you go with each and every one of your servants in this room? Would you go with them, Lord, and empower them and enable them? to declare, to witness on your behalf to a world in desperate need of what only you offer. Our prayer is that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, our King, the way, the truth, and the life. Amen.